0: Hey, I'm Ellen from Jacksonville, Florida.
1: Hey, I'm Cody from Edmonton, Alberta. I'm Eric from Nashville.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me.
1: You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate.
2: I'm Jesse Thorne. Bill Hader loves all of his Saturday Night Live creations, I'm sure. But he has a special place in his heart for a few of the weirder ones that never made it onto TV.
1: And it was a sketch that killed at the, at the table read with Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey hosted. And it was a sketch where Dana Carvey its a house at night and uh, he wakes up and he comes out and he's in a robe and he hears some racket and he goes, who's out there? I'm Casey Kasem.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then I, I, I come out and I go, Dad is not a burglar or a raccoon. It's me, your son, Jay-Z Kasem. <laughs> it's Bullseye.
2: Coming up, my conversation with Bill Hader. The sketches on Saturday Night Live are written a few days before they hit the air. And sometimes, when it's late Tuesday night, you're trying to come up with something, anything, what you come up with is isn't quite what Lorne Michaels is looking for.
1: And uh, Lorne Michaels comes up to me and he goes, I like this sketch. <laughs> I was like, thank you. And he goes, but I have a question. Why now?
2: <laughs> Plus, Bill will tell us what it felt like to say goodbye to his unforgettable character, Stefan. I also sit down with the actress and writer June Diane Rayfield. She's got a new movie out. It's called Ass Backwards. We talk about that and about the greatest pain she's ever endured. Turns out it's sort of a funny story. Plus music from a fantastic band called The Internet. And I'll talk about why my role model is a pig. It's all coming up on a bullseye taped live at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena about 15 hours after my second son was born. Let's go. Kicking off our show from Pasadena is one of my favorite stand-up comedians. I've actually known him for more than 10 years. I booked him to perform a comedy show at UC Santa Cruz when I was a student there, and he was working out of San Francisco. He was absolutely amazing. He's only gotten better since. You might have seen him on Comedy Central, on HBO's Def Comedy Jam, or on his webcast, God Missed It and the Devil Kissed It. Let's go to the stage and hear the hilarious
4: Jasper Red. Keep going for Big Papa, Jesse Thorn. <laughs> Dropping babies, showing up to work on you. I've been drinking. I'm gonna let it be known up front. Y'all been drinking too. I see it in your skin. <laughs> it's all good to drink. I've been drinking all week. I'm socially lubricated hanging out, just hole in the wall in Los Angeles. Me and my partner Randy, right? My slum chum.
3: <laughs>
4: and, uh, you know, as we're drinking, he's like, next round on me, Jay red Get some 1800 tequila. I was like, slow your roll, Randy. <laughs> he's like, why? I said, I appreciate your generosity, but I don't drink 1800 tequila. He's like, why not? I said, because. That wasn't a good year for black folk. (laughs) Now if you got some 1992 tequila, (laughs) I will partake, that was a good year. Crisscross was making people jump. Dr. Dre dropped the chronic. I was on the dream team. (laughs) Brought home to go. Bill Clinton became the first black president. So that, that year sticks out in my mind very brightly. Point is, I don't like things that remind me of slavery, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> hey, I recently got into an argument with an uncle of mine, my big aunt. He got mad because I told him I never seen Roots. Like he almost had a conniption right there on the spot. Because for those who don't know, Roots is like Star Wars for black people. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. So we don't have the conventions, but it's comparable. I don't understand that with black folk. Like, we hate slavery, love slavery movies. (laughs) Line up by the droves. I don't understand that dynamic. It's like a cow watching how hamburgers are made. Why you want to do that to yourself for $10.99? I don't like things that remind me of slavery. It's one of the main reasons I don't eat cotton candy. (laughs) That's right, I'm pro candy apple. I don't even take the cotton out of medicine bottles, man. i like, I just be sick. Sweat it out like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. That's how I'ma do it. I use a Visa, not a MasterCard, you understand? So how come you never see no black ghosts? <laughs> I'm asking you. <laughs> black people dead, too. I'm tired of white people monopolizing the afterworld. We got a black president, it's time for some black ghosts. No offense, I, I don't like white ghosts. You play too many mind games while I'm eating my waffles. Messing with the lights, opening up drawers on my armoire, making weird noises. Woo! See a black ghost be more laid back. Be like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's happening, y'all? Hey, y'all got twenty dollars? I can hold till tomorrow, man. Yeah, the real estate crisis affected haunted houses too, bro. I don't know if you know that. I've been going through some things, man. Not to get too morbid. But uh, I did have a friend pass away recently uh, during the summertime, abruptly on your boy, and I've been dealing with it. And I remember during the week of the funeral, y'all had a uh, conversation with a mutual friend of the deceased, my homeboy Jabbar. I was like, hey, Jabbar, will you be attending the funeral this week? And he says, nah, Jay Red, I'm not a funeral person. And I thought to myself, who is? <laughs> Anybody know any funeral enthusiasts? I'm a funeral machine. If you dead, I'm there. Count me in. Wake me up before you (laughs) go-go. Got obituaries on his wall, like old posters and record stores. You know, if you rearrange the letters in the word funeral, you'll get the phrase, real fun. Is that a subliminal message? (laughs) Now, I don't know if you religious, but if you believe that heaven is above, right? Hell is below. Shouldn't we start burying our loved ones in the ground, start launching them into space? (laughs) That's theological. (laughs) To be closer to the almighty, not feather away, closer to, you know, (laughs) what you deserve. (laughs) Well, we do have a black president. And uh, I think it's time that we change the name of the White House since the streak is over. Now, I'm not suggesting we call it the Chocolate Factory. That would be inaccurate. He's a man of many flavors. (laughs) He's like... (laughs) (laughs) you know he's half black he's half white so I think the name should reflect that so that's why I'm suggesting we call it the halfway house (laughs) thank you everybody I've been Jasper Red
2: Jasper Red on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum you can follow him on Twitter at Jasper Red that's Red spelled with two D's It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week's show was taped on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California. My first interview guest is June Diane Raphael. She's the co writer and co star of the new buddy comedy Ask Backwards. Before my conversation with June, let's hear a clip from her movie. It's about two women, played by June and her co-writer, Casey Wilson. The characters have been best friends ever since they competed in a beauty pageant as kids. In this scene, they're just kicking off a road trip, and we see them sitting side by side in the front seat of their van, singing along enthusiastically to an 80s tune playing out of their CD player. Welcome to the stage, June Diane Raphael. Wait, Nick the producer, press pause for a second. I just want to explain one thing that the audience at our live show knew that you maybe don't know or don't remember, which is that uh, at this point of this conversation, it was nighttime, maybe 8 p.m. And at 4 a.m. that same morning, uh, my wife had given birth to our second child. So I had slept uh, three... Out of forty-eight hours preceding this, okay, press play. Hello, hi, June. How are you, hi. friend? I'm
0: great. How are you? What well, do you feel like? I know exactly how you are.
2: Yeah, I'm a little. T- I'm like border. I'm, I'm. I'm. I. Here's what happened. I took. I took a sip of this. Combination of melted ice and Seven Up, like this, and then I put it down, and I realized that as I put it down, <laughs> my hand was shaking, like literally, like a, an alcoholic in an emotional scene of a film.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, you're not well.
2: Yeah, it was a full-on. It was like a full-on joke take <laughs> uh, that I was actually doing by through no fault of my own.
0: I have to say, your wife is amazing.
2: Hmm. She built a human inside of her.
0: For many, well, yeah, for that, but also for allowing you to be here.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's probably a bad call, but yes.
0: (laughs) And I'm just wondering, like, is there any way I could get in on that?
2: (laughs) You would like to be married to my wife? I
0: mean, like, she just sounds... so great
2: you're already married june you're I'm married to my friend can comedian, i not ask paul questions
0: Scheer. here
2: the, what qualities of a wife are you looking for and why isn't paul providing those <laughs> to you
0: paul is an amazing husband right and i think he's doing that quite well
2: you mean he's he's really good at like being a mr fix-it
3: <laughs>
0: He like taking out the trash. He's doing all those duties great. But just the kind of, I feel like there's a certain selflessness that comes with being a great wife. That it's not a quality I have. <laughs> 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 it's not necessarily a quality Paul has, even though, I, again, I think he's a wonderful husband. And what I'm saying is I would love a, a wife.
2: You want someone to suffer so you don't have to.
0: That is that not what your wife is doing right now?
2: She sure did it yesterday. I'll tell you. That's true. Have you ever been? Have you ever been there when a when a child is born? No. It is insane. It's
0: something else, huh?
2: It's mad. I mean, here's the thing. My wife has been pushing this baby out of her for 24 hours. You know, she's eaten. I don't remember like some toast and some scrambled eggs that morning. And you know, some Gatorade energy chews. And they put the baby and you know, she's been screaming obscenities and and non standard non obscenity, <laughs> non word screams. And they put the they put the baby in her arms, you know, and they do skin to skin, which is where the you know the baby touches you directly. And it's just she's just fine. It just goes and it's like, okay wow, people are amazing machines.
0: I mean, and I guess that's why we continue to do it, because you do forget. I've never had children, obviously, (laughs) in this conversation, but you must forget that amount of pain immediately. But pain is a weird thing, because when you're in it, you can't imagine any other experience but feeling as badly as you do. And then when it's over, it's hard to feel grateful for not being in pain. You know, you just sort of... Forget. It. What, is
2: the, what is the worst pain that, that you've ever endured?
0: Oh, ma'am.
2: <clears throat> and not Physical? just like, yeah, not like existential pain.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I'm in that. One right time now, I was but... pretty
2: baked and I was on the beach <laughs> and I was looking at the stars and I was like, oh, man. I remember.
0: Paul and I went to Sundance. I went to this restaurant and I ate a sandwich that had aioli on it. And I had nothing in my stomach. I've never had food poisoning before in my life. And I, t- I took a, one bite and I thought, this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. But I'm so hungry that I have to continue. And I don't know what's wrong about this, but I'm also so hungry, so something's also tasting good. It was a, it was a real struggle. Right. And I.
2: It was sort of like your childbirth.
0: Exactly. Right. And I ate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was strange because the, the first thing that happened to me was I got so tired. And we were Paul and I were with his manager, and I just slumped down onto the booth and put my head down. Just a strange look for <laughs> uh, someone at a restaurant. And I'm like, Paul, I do, I'm just so tired. I just got so tired. And then it hit me. And I had... It hit me so immediately because I had nothing in my stomach that I had to run through this restaurant. And I was... I remember grabbing onto people's heads, like just trying to get to the bathroom. And I didn't make it. I didn't make it, guys. I didn't make it. And uh, I know there are donors here. I really want to get specific on what happened. It... There was a something happened in me like alien, but through my mouth. And it was so... There was so much, and for so long, and my mouth was open so wide that I remember thinking, June, breathe through your nose. Breathe through your nose, because it was going on so long, I was running out of breath. I needed a breath. So... That happened outside the bathroom and then into the bathroom. And... I finally, you know, people are coming into the bathroom. Paul comes down there. I'm a wreck. And we go back to the, like, place we were staying at, the house we were staying at, and I couldn't keep down a glass of water. I mean, it was that. And that night, I said to Paul, I'm like, I can't, I now understand why people can't live through this amount of pain. I said, I'm just asking you right now. (sighs) If I ask you to kill me, you must. I I need you to look at me. You issued like a do not resuscitate order. I was like, I need you to understand. I'm in so much pain right now that if I ask, you must take it seriously and you must do it.
2: I'm Jesse Thorne. This week's Bullseye was taped on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California. I'm talking to June Diane Raphael, who wrote and stars in the new movie, Ass Backwards, with her best pal, Casey Wilson. Well, let's talk, let's talk about show business stuff for a second, because you, I mean, I, you don't have, you do not have a wife, but you do have this relationship with Casey Wilson, which is like as close to a show business wife Yes. As it could is. exist. How how long have the two of you guys been working together?
0: We've been working together since we were eighteen. Wow. So yeah, a long time. Actually just a, a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we met in college, freshman year of college. And how we, where,
2: where do you remember where you met? We do you, met you remember seeing a, her somewhere?
0: Yeah, we met in a clown class at NYU. Like an old timey <laughs> Like, where you're wearing red noses, clown class. And we, it was so terrifying because they did this, this teacher did an exercise in the class where you, everybody had to get up in the circle and you couldn't leave, they called it the ring of fire, and you couldn't leave the circle until you had made every single person, including our teacher, laugh a belly laugh simultaneously. And people were in there for hours. I mean, it was, it was the most, it was like comedy um, prison. It was so terrifying. And just every day I would walk into that class, and I would have to think to myself before I walked in, like, you're not dying, nobody in your family's dying, like, things are okay. Like, I have to go to a place of such context to step my body into that class. That's how scary it was. But that's where, yeah.
3: You know
2: what? I I'm just made fun of you for being in clown class. Not only have I been in clown class, I have done that in clown class. It's
0: terrifying.
2: It's the most terrifying and thing I in history say, of the world. And I will
0: say, because I take a clown class now in LA, taught at the clown school by this guy David Bridell, who's an unbelievable clown and teacher. And um, it's the I, it's the best work I've ever seen when it's done well. It's the most amazing. I mean, there's a, there was a girl in my clown class in LA who's not an actor. She's probably a 17-year-old high school student, Latina, who's, I mean, she's the finest clown that's working right now, or not working. <laughs> but, you know, there's just people who can do it who aren't even necessarily performers, and it's just amazing.
2: What, what did you... I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of times if you are uh, uh, the kind of person who goes into comedy, you know, maybe you're Chris Farley and you're a natural clown, but I think for a lot of people, especially in improvisation, your natural tendency is to make a joke mm-hmm. any time that you are threatened. And uh, being in clown class is a constant threat where all you want to do is make a joke, and then the teacher gets angry at you for making mm-hmm. jokes instead of clowning.
0: Well, because clowning is um, it's kind of nonverbal, too. It's not about using your head at all.
2: What's, what struck you about Casey in the class that made you friends? Did you well, both just hate being clowns?
0: <laughs> we, I came to love the clown work, but it was just, it's just incredibly difficult work. But she, we, had, um, we had to find our clowns. And so, <laughs> yeah, this is all insane. The other thing that was crazy was the teacher would never say, like, what is your clown doing? She would just always, she would side coach scenes and physical work and just say how does clown feel right now? (laughs) (laughs) And, but, well, we're all finding our clowns. You know, Casey's clown was very angry and very, she would get very upset about things. And, and again, none of this was spoken. It was all physical work, but she would just get super angry that things weren't going her way. And I, I just thought she was so funny. You know, that's how we... Because I, I just remember laughing so hard at what she did.
2: Well, June, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show.
0: Thank you so much June for Diane having
2: June Diane Rayfield, me. ladies and gentlemen. June Diane Rayfield on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum. Her new movie, Ask Backwards, is available on VOD and is in theaters this week. After a break, I'll talk to Bill Hader. And then... He'll storm out angrily. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org
1: and NPR. Hey, gang, Max FunCon will return to Lake Arrowhead this summer. The dates are May 30th through June
3: 1st. Tickets will always sell out. Get yours starting Black Friday. That's November
1: 29th. For more information, go to MaxFunCon.com. Hey, folks. This is Kevin Allison of the
2: Max Fun Podcast Risk, where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. If you've never heard Risk, why not start with our 150th episode? It's an all-star lineup of jaw-dropping true stories from Aisha Tyler.
0: Now, this being the 90s, I was drinking malt liquor. Don't fuck you in your racist thoughts. You're all racist. We're laughing. <laughs> all of
3: you. Tom Lennon. Whenever I walk into a place that's called Mr. Binkies, I'm expecting Armenian Bumblebee to be like, I got jack-off pills for you. Yeah! (laughs) Jay Moore. Me, public school in New Jersey. I didn't need to know anything because everybody knew you got pregnant by peeing in each other's butts. That's how we knew.
1: Andy Dick. We've had a monogamous relationship for five years. i Barely cheated on her. (laughs) And The Daily Show's Jessica Williams. Oh, my God. I have, like, this need to be responsible for some reason that doesn't really benefit me. So, like, (laughs) Jessica, clean it up. Look for Risk on iTunes or, of
2: course, at MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye, and I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to a show we recorded on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California. My second interview guest is Bill Hader. He spent eight seasons on Saturday Night Live. He's known for his great impressions, like Vincent Price. And he was maybe even better known for his Weekend Update character, Stefan, which was a collaboration with the great writer and stand-up comedian John Mullaney. Here's a clip from SNL. It's one of Bill's other great characters, the elderly veteran news reporter Herb Welch. Herb's on the scene reporting on a shooting. And every thud you hear is Herb hitting his interview subject, played by Anne Hathaway, in the face with his microphone.
1: I'm here with Maria de, de- Silvio.
0: De Salvo. What? Maria de Salvo.
1: Well, I don't know. Why don't you tell me what happened? Oh. <laughs>
0: Oh,
3: I heard some shooting outside and uh, the kids were looking out the window, so uh, I told them, you know, get down.
1: You have any uh, fun plans for, uh, for Turkey Day?
3: <laughs> uh, what?
1: you want going to cook a bird or you know, some yams or
3: something? <laughs> we go to my mother's.
1: So there you have it.
3: Back to
2: you, Jack. Okay, <laughs> now. Please welcome to the stage Bill Hader.
1: That's that's the first Herb Welch we did, the character voice changed or how do we so weird seeing that. I was like, Oh yeah, that's when we try to play him like a talking corpse. <laughs> and then it was I think Lauren Michael's was like, I think you had a little more life to her. <laughs> I was like, what? what's going on there? And I was like, oh yeah, that's the Talking Corpse version of Herb Welch. Was Talking Corpse the pitch? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's basically, a uh, it's from an internet video that's real famous where these two news anchors in New York are arguing with each other, and have you guys seen that, where it's the two guys yelling at each other and the one guy's, and, and one guy essentially is where, I mean, it's Herb Welch, uh, you know, and the guy goes... Uh, uh oh yeah the, the herb welch guy says to the news anchor uh remember i, I uh i was your jo- i was your boss at one time and the news anchor goes you were and are no longer how'd that happen <laughs> <laughs> and uh john mulaney and I, I think watched that like 20 times and i was like oh, why do you just write that up man <laughs> See what
2: yeah. I feel like there's a significant portion of your Saturday Night Live career that just involves you and John Mulaney sitting
1: around. Laughing. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, laughing or, or uh, just staring at a wall going, oh, God, what are we going to do? Gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And most of the ones that we wrote together, the most fun we had writing something actually never made it on the show. The hardest we laughed, and it was a sketch that killed at the, at the table read with Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey hosted. And it was a sketch where Dana Carvey, it's a house at night and uh, he wakes up and he comes out and he's in a robe and he hears some racket and he goes, who's out there? I'm Casey Kasem. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, I I come out and I go, dad is not a burglar or a raccoon. It's me, your son, J.C. Kasem. <laughs> and he goes, Son, I want nothing to do with you. And I go, Dad, why is that? And he goes, Let me read a letter. Oh, le- yeah, let me read a letter. <laughs> Dear Casey, Your son and his boyfriend owe me $5,000. for You know, it was this long thing. Oh, our favorite joke line was, uh, I always ask you questions like, Dad, why won't you... Uh, You're always, you always hounding me with questions like, when are you going to get a job? And when are you going to get out of the house? And what recording artist had more number one hits <laughs> than any other? <laughs> and he said, Mariah Carey was 17. Now get the hell out of here. <laughs> and uh, we did it for the uh, dress audience, and they went, no. <laughs> Played to crickets. It's Bullseye,
2: I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my conversation with Bill Hader. It was taped live on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. I think there, there are people who do impressions for whom impressions are like an avocation. Like that is something that they've, you know, has been like central to who they are since they were 15 in the same way that like a stage magician just spent day after day, and day after day after day after day, night after night after night after night you know, at home in his bedroom, working on... You know what I mean? Yeah. And an impressionist m- might Losers. do the same thing. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we I mean,
1: you know... Not David Copperfield's like, my ears are burning. No, jo- uh, You know,
2: jo- Johnny Carson was... Johnny a Carson. He's no... He's no... Well, he's... Depends on whether you believe that... Uh, he's a a book, yeah, he weird. was a magician. Yeah. But um, he was a magician. Yeah. A lot of great people. Were, were you... Did you believe... Yeah, no tons... Um
3: <laughs>
1: did you did you like love the idea of being an impressionist? No, I didn't actually do impressions of famous people until my SNL audition, until they said, You gotta do impressions for your SNL audition, and my manager, Naomi Odenkirk, said, Do you do impressions? And I said, uh I don't I don't know. I mean like my science teacher. <laughs> 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 and uh she said, Well you better go learn some impressions, because... You got an audition for SNL, and you know, so that's how I kind of figured it out. That's why, and I love old movies, so that's why they're all James Mason and Gregory Peck and people like that, because that was that's all I watched. Who did you Who did you bring to What did you bring to your SNL? On? I did uh, Al Pacino. I did uh, James Mason. Uh, I did. Uh, Peter Falk. <laughs> uh, who else did I do? Oh, they called me the day of my audition and said, we want a political impression, but it can't be George Bush, who was the president at the time. So I did um, Tony Blair. Another red hot one in America. <laughs> yeah, I know. The tip of every teenager's tongue. I know. I mean, but the good thing that happened with me, at least, that I figured out was that I was a pretty quick study on people. Like, I can... Cause I would get cast as people, and I'm like, you're sitting at the, the, the table, the table read, and like, don't come, to like, I have you as Willem Dafoe, and you know, and you're like, uh, okay, you know, and you're in a table with this many people, and you're like, you gotta sell it, you know what I mean? And so, I was happy that I was, um, or people I'd never heard of, like Elliot Spitzer, like, how did I did to do Elliot Spitzer, I'd never heard of Elliot, you know, I, I didn't follow I'm too busy thinking about Casey Casey, yeah, I was too busy thinking about, I was too, yeah, no, yeah, I'm too busy, yeah. Uh, You know, yeah, watching old movies and stuff. But uh, he, uh, so yeah, you know, you'd figure, you just figure him out really quick. The hardest ones to do actually were, um, I always felt impressions were easier when you watched the person being interviewed because you found, you saw them being themselves, you know? Like you found little things in there that were interesting um, of them just being themselves as you opposed mean, to as opposed to like in a performance. Yeah, instead of like doing Al Pacino saying hoo ha or whatever, it was more of him. Uh, I, mine was from him getting uh, his Emmy acceptance speech for Angels in America, and he was just kind of like, "Oh yeah, thanks," so. but you know, what I mean, it was just like you didn't know where he where he was, or, um, <laughs> and uh, so I was totally fine with that, uh, but. Yeah, I got some, but those were the harder ones where I had to play, like, I, we did a Homeland sketch, and I had to play Saul, Mandy Patinkin, Homeland, and that was hard. I had to do the guy from There Will Be Blood. That was really hard, like, sitting there watching that because you're performing it. It's just different. When, when, you, when you watch, take, take a Mandy Patinkin, for
2: example, if you remember, the Patink. What, what... The
1: Patink. <laughs> That's what he goes by. Yeah, I think so. Patink is him. <laughs>
2: What, what like what did you watch? Did you just, just bring you VHS Homeland. cassettes like, of old? Well, we have DVDs. Of that, Chicago
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have DVDs at SNL. It's not that three quarter machines. Uh, no, uh, we just I was watching Homeland. Just I would sit and. Watch him on Homeland, like you know, once. Do you scene remember like a again. thing that you? Would you would you just, like just say the things you in his voiceover? Operation. Over over? It was operation. That was the word that I kept saying. And something the operation. I can I would have to watch it again, but I would watch Daryl Hammond do that. He would get one word and then say it over and over and over again, and I was like, oh yeah, it's like tuning a instrument or something. Partly, I mean, you kind of find a place in your mouth. Yeah, it's like all at the a... front of your mouth. Yeah. I don't know. I have to watch it. It's not that good. (laughs) Now I'm shy. It's Bullseye. I'm
2: Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my conversation with Bill Hader. It was taped live on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. One of the really great things about you being obsessed with old movies and wanting to do James Mason impression on Saturday Night Live is that in order to do a James Mason impression... You have to come up with a premise for the <laughs> yeah. sketch that justifies you doing James Mason. He was never on of... the
1: show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, I can never figure it out.
2: <laughs> I mean, you did a recurring series of Vincent Price sketches. Yeah, we did do
1: Vincent Price a bunch. Yeah, that was fun. You, I, I mean, that.
2: but you you have to you have to. I mean, I imagine you you can't just say. I'm going to do Vincent Price, doing that stuff that everybody knows Vincent Price is known for yeah, doing. Yeah, I know.
1: Most people don't. And that's the crazy thing is that especially now, no, I mean, people my age were like, no, which who's Vincent Price? You know, I mean, it was like, I was like, how, you know. But I remember the first one we did, it was like my sixth show, fifth or sixth show. I was crazy nervous. I was nervous before every show, but I was like about to throw up. I was about to pass out. And... um, the band's playing. We're about to go live, and I'm dressed as Vincent Price, and I have you know, bird on my shoulder and stuff. And uh, Lauren Michaels comes up to me and he goes, "I like this sketch." <laughs> I was like, "Thank you," and he goes, "I like it, but I have a question: Why now?" <laughs> So if you watch the very first one, they're like, go. And I totally trip up on my first line because I'm like, what did he mean by that? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I-
2: <laughs> <laughs> did he expect you to make it topical in between standing yeah, in the yeah. wings and yeah, going he, on stage?
1: and tweeting or something <laughs> like, oh, I have so many Twitter followers. <laughs> so anyway, Syria. Yeah, I mean, what, what's he going to talk about? But yeah, that was always the hardest thing. And uh, I first wrote those with a guy named Matt Murray, who now writes at Park and Rec, and then uh, and then John Mulaney and Seth Myers for the last couple. And uh, John Mulaney—that was the first thing I ever wrote with John Mulaney. Was he was a new writer, and I was like, well, I, I think I want to do a Benson Price sketch. Do you want to come in and you know do a, the, old, the other guy left the show? Do you want to come help out? And oh my God, that guy is funny. Just John Mulaney immediately—I remember he had a line. I go, okay, so I go up to. Seth Meyers and I were like, okay, so Liberace comes out. I don't know if you ever saw the sketches, but uh, Fred Armisen would play Liberace. And he was always, like, saying really, like, dirty things and stuff. And, uh, and you know, and, and then uh, he says this. What should he say back to him? And John Mulaney, just off the top of his head, went, he, oh, he, what if he said, Liberace, save your sassy asides for your windowless bars. <laughs> We were like, Whoa, new guy! <laughs> go, that is a great line, you know I was like, Wow, that guy is funny yeah. <laughs>
2: i I remember seeing John Mulaney for the first time, and he couldn't have been. He was doing stand up in New York. Couldn't have been more than 25. And he looked like he was 12. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he, he wasn't... Uh, I mean, he'd only been doing stand-up for... He was just out of Georgetown. He'd only been doing stand-up for, like, three years or something and wasn't in a 100% smooth stand-up. But I remember thinking, wow, that might be the funniest stand-up material I've ever seen anyone he's one do. one of the
1: funniest human beings on the planet, I think. He really is. I mean, he's just one of those... I've had... I've been very lucky where I've got to be in the room with people like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and, and Larry David, and, and Tina Fey, and uh, you know these kind of people. And he's of that caliber. He's just one of those guys that's just born with it. You're just like, whoa, where does that come from? You just don't, yeah. So I felt so lucky that when he showed up on the writing staff, I was like, you are mine. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was another one we tried to write. We tried to do James... Uh, we, did, we did this one thing called Don't You Go Running Around Rerow, which was like this British movie where you couldn't understand what anybody was saying. It was just... Where he was like... And he's like... The critics are saying, yeah, mesmerizing, riveting. I didn't understand a word they said, yeah. And uh, we wrote another one that was a fake movie trailer. It was if James L. Brooks had done a samurai movie. Uh, <laughs> And it was like, there, we were samurais. But it was me and Fred Armisen, like walking through Central Park as two samurais, and I go, look, in the Book of Life, I just want to be in the acknowledgements. <laughs> it was like, and I go, yeah. yeah, now we're getting a Netflix subscription together. <laughs> you know, all, and then that, the last joke is I cut a guy's head off, and I go, don't worry, he was married, I did him a favor. And we thought it was so funny, and no one else did. Damn it, that made me laugh.
2: Coming up, Bill will tell us what it felt like to say goodbye to his unforgettable character, Stefan. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
3: I'm Cameron Esposito, the host of Wham Bam Pow. This is an action and sci-fi movie podcast on MaximumFun.org. We talk about punching. We talk about car chases. We talk about uh, arms, muscles that are on arms. And every week I'm joined by panelists Rhea Butcher. That's me. And, of course, also Ricky Carmona. Oh, I'm all up in it. That's what's up. The Afro spokesman. We are going to give you all of the jokes and all of the happiness and all of the information that you need to watch action and sci-fi films to the fullest. Mm. Find it at MaximumFun.org or you can subscribe on iTunes.
2: (laughs) It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my conversation with Bill Hader. It was taped live on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. Um, you know, you know maybe, maybe at this point your best known character from the show is Stefan. We talk, the last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about Stefan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Stefan is one of, I mean, I mean this sincerely, like one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. Oh, you're very sweet. Um, and... I, you know, like I just Stefan just leaves me in <laughs> awe and just sick with laughter. And um, I thought, I, I was thinking, like, you know, we talked a lot about how much I love Stefan last time you were on the show, Bill. But then I remembered, but then you had this lovely send off for yeah. Stefan last year. You know, I, I don't, that's not a normal thing on Saturday Night Live. It's not like characters on Saturday Night Live usually have arcs. Yeah. Um, So why did you want to
1: do that for this character? I feel, well, it was interesting because, you know, John Lane and I, we wrote the last one, the last kind of, you know, regular Stefan one. And we were just, it just was, we were banging our head against the wall. We were like, no, we did that joke already. No, we did that already. It was just becoming really, really tough. And then I had told Lauren Michaels that I was leaving. And so we knew like, well, we should do a Stefan for the last show. And we kinda we had one idea where he went up on a spaceship. We had another idea where Yeah, it was like we had all these other ideas that were live. And then John was thinking, he goes, Wait, we had it like a year ago, we had the idea that he leaves the update desk, he yells he says, Seth, I'm tired of you treating me like this, he leaves the update desk. And uh, and we were like, Oh yeah, and he just exactly what it turned out to be. He goes and when you do the graduate, but he's marrying Anderson Cooper. I have I have all the, no, I mean, I, it's like, we still have, it. and it was like from a year earlier. And it was like, titled like, Last Stefan, you know, he gets married, and you see all the the people that you've talked about over the years in the, you know, chapel. And uh, it was really cool. It was awesome. And uh, I was so glad we did it. And there was a moment, because we leave, and then it goes to the pre-tape. And all week I had been totally fine. I mean, I knew it was my last week and people were throwing parties. Fred Armisen had the Flaming Lips come out and play our last uh, table read. They played Do You Realize and everyone was crying. And I mean, it was insane. But I didn't cry. I was like, very like, oh, you know, well, you guys are like my friends. Come on. You're like, I'm going to see you guys, you know. Um, And when that video was playing, then me and Seth had a run go out. And that was, we were in the wings about to go out as the video was playing and I just totally lost it like all hit me I was like oh this is my last show is that, you know and uh, so I, I got really emotional and, and Seth got really emotional and then yeah it was we weird really in the middle of my story
2: <laughs> I, I coughed I cough. I'm out of water can I have some water God, Jesse, I'm sorry, Bill. <laughs> That's a cough. It was a cough. It wasn't uh, a yawn. It was a
1: cough. And, uh, I had to cough. Yeah, no, kid. Anyway, I, where was I? Oh, yes, I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now, and uh, and uh, and it was this crazy thing where then I had to go do another sketch, and they took the Stefan wig and the shirt and everything, and they it just they just. They just took it away. I was in the middle of it. That was it. And I remember my dresser, the guy there, our wardrobe, everyone has a wardrobe person. And my guy, Michael, went, he, and he went, well, I guess that's it, Bill. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was it. All right. <laughs> and that was it,
2: yeah. Bill, thank you so much for coming and being on our show. It was yeah. so great to
1: meet you in real life. Yeah, nice to meet you. Bill too. Hader, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations, thank you. Congratulations.
2: Thank you, friend. I'm, I'm really
1: sorry for coughing in the middle of your story, Bill. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Comedian Bill Hader stormed out of a live recording at KBCC. I'm <laughs>
3: you man. <laughs> Blew it.
2: I'm Steve Inskeep. <laughs> We're just gonna take Blue a... Sp- <laughs> conversation was taped live on stage at KPCC in Pasadena, California. Bill Hader lives in Los Angeles now. You can catch him popping up on a ton of different film and television projects. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our musical guests on this live episode are a band called The Internet. They're part of the famous and occasionally infamous L.A. hip-hop collective Odd Future. Here they are performing Ya, from their new record Feel Good.
3: got me running for you, Said we gotta take it slow, it's what you do to me, yeah, I think it's time I take control, girl I just wanna love you, love as bad as you want Way you move for from me There's something seductive to Don't just want me. Don't just me. Don't just do me. do
2: That was Don'tcha, performed on stage at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. Their new album is called Feel Good. Seriously, they were some of the nicest people we've ever had on the show. You should really follow them on Twitter. Their handle is Internets. That's at I-N-T-A-N-E-T-Z Every week on Bullseye, we like to include a recommendation from yours truly. It's the outshot. The world is scary. That's just all there is to it. Life is a terrifying thing. Certainly for many of us, there's joy and happiness and comfort too. But there will be fear and pain. And it takes guts and heart to beat your way past all of that. Which is why one of my greatest heroes is Babe, the little pig (laughs) with the big heart. And why one of my favorite films of all time is Babe, Pig in the City. (laughs) I have a feeling that if you're nodding quietly right now, you've seen Babe, Pig in the City. And if you're giggling, maybe you haven't, because I am as serious as a heart attack. Babe, the first movie, if you missed it, was about a pig who learns to be a sheepdog, though precious few on the farm or anywhere else think that he can. Babe, Pig in the City opens with the sheep pig returning home to the farm triumphant. There's even a parade. But... It all goes bad. He gets ahead of himself while his owner's fixing the well pump, and calamity piles upon calamity, and long story short, farmer Hoggett is left disabled, in traction specifically. And it leaves only Mrs. Hoggett to tend the farm.
1: Even before her author's misfortune, Mrs. Hoggett was ceaselessly busy, bustling, baking, bottling, and pickling. But now, having to nurse her husband and pay the bills... She found life considerably more challenging than she had ever anticipated. Before long, two men showed up. Two men in suits. Men with pale faces and soulless eyes. Such men could have come from only one place. The bank.
2: They can't make ends meet. So Babe and Mrs. Hoggett leave. The plan is that they'll go to a grand state fair to earn the money they need to save the farm. But something goes wrong, they miss a connecting flight, and they're left to fend for themselves, alone in the big city. A huge city. The city in Babe, Pig in the City seems to be every city piled on top of every other city. It has the canals of Venice and the Opera House from Sydney and all the skyscrapers in the world. The narrator calls it a place filled with dark corners and endless possibilities. It's no place for animals or old ladies. Not long after they arrive, Mrs. Hoggett is swept into a chaotic street fight. She ends up getting hauled off to jail. And then Babe is by himself. I guess Babe is a grown-up pig, but he's really a child. Everything in the world is new to Babe, and he's just putting together the pieces. But he knows that he loves Mr. and Mrs. Hoggett, and he knows he has to save the farm, and he has kindness in his heart, and he has this little bit of advice that he picked up on his way out of town.
3: Can you come with me, fly? I wish I could, dear, but it's you they want. Please. Stop it now. You're a brave pig, and Babe, more often than not in this uncertain world. Fortune favors the brave. It's
2: a cruel city. It's no time before he finds himself in a traveling show playing a porked dinner served by a clown to a gang of world-weary apes. They tell him there's a reward at the end for him. He thinks maybe it's enough to save the farm. But the truth is, there is no reward.
3: Just tell me. There is no reward, is there? Was there ever such a thing?
0: Oh, little pink thingy. This is the city, as Bob always says. What do you say, Bob?
1: It's all illusory. It's ill and it's for losers.
0: Nah, that wasn't it. You know, that stuff about no yesterday and no tomorrow.
1: All you got is this actual nounness. The past is gone and it's for the future.
0: Yeah, no guarantees, my little poor pie.
3: It's a dog-eat-dog world and there's not enough dog to go around. So you look after number... What's he? get my trip I'm not a poor pie. Whatever you say, cute pie. I'm not any kind of pie. I'm just a pig on a mission.
2: Here's the thing. Babe isn't a superhero. He's not extraordinarily capable. He's timid. He isn't even especially smart. But he's loving and he's brave, no matter what. There's a scene in the movie that upset some critics. They said it was the kind of thing that children shouldn't see. Babe's running through the streets of the city at night. He's skidding around corners, flying through shadows. Behind him is a snarling bull terrier. And this bull terrier, eventually it catches up on a bridge over a canal, jumps at Babe, mouth open, going for the neck, knocks Babe off the bridge. Babe comes a millimeter From death.
1: Something broke through the terror. Flickerings, fragments of his short life. The random events that delivered him to this, his moment of annihilation. As terror gave way to exhaustion, Babe turned to his attacker, his eyes filled with one simple question
3: Why?
2: The dog follows Babe off the bridge, and into the water. But he's pulling a chain behind him, and it wraps on the bridge, and it wraps on the dog's leg. And for a few seconds, the dog is suspended with his face in the water, and he's drowning. There are other animals watching this whole thing transpire. And one by one, they look, and they turn away. They shut down. And by this time, Babe has paddled over to the shore, and he's there shivering. And he looks at this dog with his face underwater, this dog that just tried to snap his neck. And he jumps back in the water, and he pushes a boat over, and he saves the dog. I cry every time. In fact, I'm halfway to tears right now. Because in the face of danger, Babe is brave, but he's also kind brave and kind, not strong, not big, not bright. Babe has been given nothing. His best aspects aren't inborn. What makes Babe special are the qualities he's chosen. Surrounded by adversity, facing mortality, he's brave and he's kind. In both of the Babe films, he's staring down death. That was the plot of the first one, although people seem to forget it. For Babe, the choices were become a sheep pig or head to the slaughterhouse. In the very first scene of Pig in the City, as Babe leads the parade through his country town, the returning, conquering champion, we see above him some skywriting letters. H-A-M. They cut to Babe, and then they cut back to the sky, where the skywriters are finishing spelling out CHAMP. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and there's not enough dog to go around. And it's not just babe. We're all alone in the world sometimes. We all have to face fear and pain, and death is the one thing that none of us will escape. We can't choose not to live in a world with pain and fear and death. We can only choose how we live in that world. We can only hope that in our darkest moments, We're like Babe, that we're brave and we're kind. And if we are, as it was for Babe, things will turn out okay.
3: That'll do, Pig.
2: That'll do. (laughs) That's my outshot. That's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our senior producer, Nick White. Our intern is Brian Bolt. Our thanks to everybody at KPCC who made this show possible. Special thanks to John Cohn, Jenny Smith, and David McKeever. And, of course, thanks to all the Southern Californians who came out, including the dude who gave me a hug and the young lady who made me a needlepoint picture of a couple of chicken wings. I love chicken wings. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. And hey, if you like the show, tell a friend, why don't you? That's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
2: MaximumFun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
2: Listener supported.